0: Good morning, ladies, and I hope none of you got anxious when Paige said she had her Christmas shopping almost done. I do not have anything done. I do not have any decorations out. We have all the crew coming to our house next week for Thanksgiving, so that is all I'm focusing on right now. I did the big Costco run yesterday. I do have the turkeys in my freezer and all that kind of stuff is happening, but we are a long way from being there. But I do want to encourage you, as you prepare and as you focus on the holidays, to prepare so that you can serve and minister. The idea to be prepared is so that it releases you from all the busyness while people are in your home. And I want to encourage you to have a time of prayer. Maybe you will be in a family member's home. Maybe you'll be opening your home. I realize for many of us it's going to be different this year. Sometimes, For some of us it will be on a much smaller scale because of all the health issues that we're dealing with in the midst of all the COVID restrictions. But wherever you are, be a vessel that the Lord can use and flow through and ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to pray with your family. One of the things we enjoy doing is to just kind of go around the table and say one thing we're thankful for. Sometimes we'll share one thing that the Lord has taught us in the previous year. Maybe you have a family member that's facing a challenge, maybe a big decision. Um, Call the family together and pray together for that person. Use this as an opportunity to speak the name of Jesus over your family members. You will find that now until Christmas and New Year's, people are more open to the gospel than any other time of the year. So I just want to encourage you to be open and available for the Lord to use you and be aware. He sets up divine appointments, so be ready and willing to step into one of them and to be obedient. You know, we're closing up our study of the book of John by looking at John 21, and it is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. You know, it's always bittersweet to me when we come to the end of a study, but I do have to tell you... This is going to be an incredible study. (laughs) You do not want to miss this, and you want to bring someone with you. I think every time we do a new one, it's amazing how the Lord leads us from one study to the next as he's continuing to sanctify us and to make us more like Jesus Christ. And so he's teaching us more and more and granting us more awareness and wisdom and revelation according to his word. So we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount as we've looked at Christ. Now it's okay, let's go down deep in his teachings, and how do we individually and corporately flesh that out. How do we live out the truths that Christ has given us? And in the midst of that obedience is where we find incredible freedom and inexpressible joy. So I'm so excited about it. And we're already working on the one for the next fall. I'm so excited. We met last Tuesday for lunch, and I can just tell you we had a couple of moments where the Lord just manifested his presence in our midst, and we saw something as we were talking about the next study and talking about who's going to be writing what and making connections. So we're already getting excited about the next one. So I I just appreciate you being here, staying connected and invested in the study, because the investment you're making is in your spiritual well-being and in your understanding and the intimacy that you get to experience personally with Jesus Christ, and nothing can take that away from you. So I just encourage you, um, stay with us. All right, let's look at John 21. So Christ has been crucified, buried, resurrected. They've already seen the resurrected Christ, but he comes and goes. So we pick back up in John 21, says, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon, Peter, and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Now we know the sons of Zebedee are James and John. Two of the disciples are unnamed, so we have six of them that have gone fishing, because Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. (laughs) They uh, said to him, we'll come with you. And they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat. And you'll find a catch so they cast and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish therefore that disciple whom jesus loved said to peter it is the lord so when simon peter heard that it was the lord he put his outer garment on for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea but the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from the land but about 100 yards away dragging the net full of fish so when they got on the land they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, "'Bring some of the fish which you have now caught.' Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn." What well, we see in this encounter here that we already know because of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection, that he bore the penalty for our sin on that cross And I can only imagine the guilt and the shame that Peter experienced each time he saw the resurrected Lord, knowing that he had denied him at the time that he was being betrayed by the Jewish religious leaders and all the disciples except for John had scattered. It had to have grieved him to relive those denials over and over and to feel so ashamed. He had done the worst thing possible. He had denied the Lord. And yet the Lord appeared to him along with these disciples. And we know that because Jesus Christ defeated death, hell, and the grave, he has freed us from the power of sin. So not only did Jesus Christ pay the penalty for our sin, he has released us from the power of sin. You know, the disciples had to have experienced an incredible roller coaster of emotions. I mean, you think about the triumphal entry to the Lord's Supper and that intimate time with him, to the Garden of Gethsemane and the betrayal, the crucifixion, and then the fear of, will we be next? And then Christ is raised from the dead, and he comes and appears to them in that room with the doors locked. And I can't even imagine to go from here for the triumphal entry to here, to here, to here, to here. And now... Here again, what do we do? We've just experienced three and a half years of ministry with the Lord. He's commissioned us, and yet we really don't know what we're supposed to be doing yet. And Peter says, let's just go fishing. And I don't think it was necessarily that he was going back to his old life, as much as Christ had told them, go to Galilee, I'm going to meet you there. They'd gone to Galilee, and what did they know to do when they went to Galilee? They went fishing. So Peter says, I'm going fishing, and the others go with them. They fish all night, and it reminds us of that time in Luke chapter 5, when Christ first called Peter to follow him. And he told him that he would make him a fisher of men. If you remember that, they'd fished all night once again. And Jesus had used their boat to teach the crowds. And then he had told Peter, go back out and cast your net again. Well, I'm sure he probably thought, now, Rabbi, you know, you're really great at teaching and preaching and all that stuff, but we're fishermen, We fished all night. fish You don't catch fish during the day like this. The best time to fish is at night. These thoughts had to have gone through his mind, and yet because Christ told him to do it, he did it. And we know then they caught so many fish, they had to call James and John over to help, and the net was starting to tear, and they're getting the fish in. And what does he do? He bows before him and declares that he is Lord, and he recognizes that he's unworthy. And that's what happens when we experience Christ and recognize who he really is, we are struck with his majesty, but also with our own unworthiness. Well, once again, the Lord has told them to cast the nets out, and they've done it. And Peter, realizing, is you know that's still that same impulsive Peter. He grabs his outer cloak on, he gathers it up, and he jumps into the water, not waiting for the boat to come in with the net of fish, but wanting to get to the Lord. We see here his heart and his desire to be with the Lord and to please the Lord. And so they pulled the fish in, and they were large fish, and there were 153 of them. It was so amazing, they counted them. They were so amazed at the number of fish. And once again, they come to the shore, and what has Christ prepared for them? He has breakfast ready. He has fish and bread over a charcoal fire. And, you know, every time we think about manna in the Old Testament or hear this picture of Christ providing breakfast for his disciples, it's a physical picture of a spiritual reality that every morning he prepares a table for us and he allows us to feast on his word and his presence if we will but come to that table and spend time with him so here christ is inviting them in he's inviting them to come for breakfast and i know peter had to have remembered that other fire You know, in the message of John, Bruce Milne said, It is by dying to our reliance on ourselves and our abilities that we discover resurrection life and the harvest of the kingdom. They had just harvested fish, but Jesus was calling them to be fishers of men. There was a completely different harvest, fields that Christ was calling them into as they were to go after people um, for Christ. You know, as we listen to his voice through the word and the inner promptings of his spirit, he will make us fishers of men as well. Just as we sang, people need the Lord. He invites us to fellowship and communion. And the invitation to the intimacy of a meal is a foreshadowing of the day. He will gird himself and serve us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Once again, we see we serve a savior, a king, a king who did not come to be served, but to serve and give himself as a ransom. Well, when they arrived or embarked on the land, an important sight met them. It was none other than the charcoal fire, and this word actually appears only two places in the entire New Testament, and both of them are related to Peter in the Gospel of John. The first forms a setting for Peter's denial, and the second for his reinstatement. The first concerns the darkness of an evil night, and the second The morning of new possibilities. And that's the beauty of the tender mercy of our Lord. His forgiveness is always waiting simply for us to come to him in repentance, confessing our sin. And 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And he cleanses us. It means he wipes the slate clean and allows us to start all over. It makes me think about Jeremiah under Babylonian oppression, and already many had been taken into captivity, and eventually the Babylonians would completely destroy Jerusalem. And in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah is crying out. He's lamenting to the Lord. He's been, pro- he's been prophesying for 40 years that if the people would not turn back to the Lord, they were going to be taken into captivity, but they would not listen. And he cries out to the Lord, and yet in the midst of this lament, we have these beautiful verses that speak to us, he says, "The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease; for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Regardless of what's going on around us, the Lord's loving kindnesses are new every day. Great is his faithfulness." So we see in John twenty-one twelve and following. That Jesus is going to reinstate Peter. You know, Peter denied Jesus in front of others. And so Christ, in his tender mercy, is going to recommission him in front of others. Lest there be any mistake that Christ calling on him is still relative and is still very much in effect. Let's pick up in verse 12. "'Jesus said to them, "'Come and have breakfast.' "'None of the disciples ventured to question him, "'Who are you?' knowing that it was the Lord. "'Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, "'and the fish likewise. "'This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested "'to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. "'So when they had finished breakfast, "'Jesus said to Simon Peter, "'Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these?' "'He said to him, "'Yes, Lord, you know that I love you.' He said to him, tend my lambs. Now each time the question is just a little bit different as well as how Christ responds to Peter. But we don't have the brash, bold, impulsive Peter right here. The one who had said when Christ was telling them they were all going to fall away, no, no, I will follow you to prison and to death. And Jesus told him, no, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny that you know me three times. But Peter denied it. He was depending upon his own flesh, and if any of us depend upon our flesh, we will fail. But failure is never final with the Lord, thank goodness. And so the Lord is coming back, and Peter's not brash. Yes, I love you. Yes, you know I love you. What does he say? Well, Lord, you know. (laughs) You know my heart. You know that I love you. But the Lord asked him, do you agapeo, the verb form of agape. Do you agape me? It's the love of God. It's that never-ending, faithful love. And we don't know if it was intentional. Commentators kind of disagree. Some believe it was very intentional use of the words and that John recorded it exactly the way Jesus said. But in the rest of the Gospel of John, he sometimes uses agape, sometimes phileo, almost interchangeably. So we don't really know, but we do know it is significant that he asks him three times. So he tells him to tend my lambs. Peter, care for the least of these. Take care of new believers. Take care of my sheep. They belong to Christ. And he says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I owe you. I have a strong affection for you, a brotherly love for you. And he said to him, then shepherd my sheep. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Now, was he grieved because he's asking him a third time? I think he had to know. I denied him three times. He's going to ask me three times. Or was he grieved because Christ came down to his level of love, what Peter was capable of? Peter, do you phileo me? Do you truly love me with a brotherly affection? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. Only the Lord truly knows our heart. The Lord knows, and he will reveal to us. He says, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him again, tend my sheep. Jesus met Peter where he was to take him where only Christ could lead him. Because only Jesus knew that after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter would be the chosen one to preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost and see 3,000 people saved and baptized. Peter and John would be teaching in the synagogues. Peter and John would be brought before religious authorities. Peter and John would be threatened and they would say, say whatever you will, but we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and heard. He would be a bold witness after he was filled with the Holy Spirit because he had been forgiven and he had received and experienced the mercy of Christ as he recommissioned him to ministry. Now, one of the commentaries said that this ministry is described in verbs, not nouns. Christ was telling him tend, feed, not be a pastor or hold the office of pastor because the sheep belong to Christ, not Peter. Not tend your flock, but tend my sheep. That Peter fulfilled the terms of the service required of him receives its best attention in 1 Peter, especially 5, 1 through 4. In fact, I would like to read that to you because... Peter would then be chosen by the Holy Spirit to write First and Second Peter and also was the one who was the source behind Mark's gospel, which most theologians agree on. Let's look at verse 1 through 4 in chapter 5 of First Peter. Therefore I exert the elders, the pastors, among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Christ takes very seriously the appointment to shepherd his sheep, to oversee his body to care for his bride. And so every shepherd needs to walk in humility and literally tremble at the word of God because it is a responsibility no one is able to do apart from the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit. We really do proceed on our knees I met with our young ministerial assistants, the the women that are serving as ministerial assistants at Bellevue yesterday for lunch, and was able to talk with them, and our topic was women in ministry. And I firmly believe that God has put in place order and authority in his word. There's order in the home, there's order in the church, there's order in government. If you're an employee, you are to be submissive to your employer, you're to obey the rules of your company, you're to work to make your boss look good, that's your job. Um, You're not to tear down, to demean in any way because you're coming against that office and you're coming out from under authority because authority simply means to line up under. So when we line up under the authority God has put in our life, there is peace, not chaos. There is peace and unity, not confusion. And it's what God has called us to. And so when God is reinstating Peter... He's putting him in charge. He's causing, telling him, I'm giving you authority over my sheep. But you're to tend them. You're to care for them. You're to be gentle with them just as I am with you. You know, I love this passage for many reasons. But one of them is it's the one that the Lord used to call me to Bellevue over 15 years ago. And then God would use a passage out of Judges to call Steve literally one month later. But we were in a worship service, and Steve was preaching on the post-resurrection appearances of Christ, and he preached out of John 21. And when he got to the very end of the message, he asked the question that Christ asked Peter. And he said, this same Christ is here with us this morning, and he's asking you, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And it was one of those moments when the Holy Spirit just enveloped me with his presence, and I was overwhelmed. And these words that were impressed upon my heart and mind were, do you love me more than these people and more than this place? It was that clear. And I just began to sob because we had been praying for months. In fact, Steve had even told the pulpit committee no twice, at least. <laughs> um, and we just said, we can't move until God speaks. And so that moment, I knew you're moving us. And it wasn't that I didn't want to move, but it was that God was hitting a soft space place in my heart because I loved those people. We had been in that congregation for 14 years, and when you serve alongside people, you pray with people, you're there for joys, and you're there in the midst of their grief. God knits your hearts together, and you love each other genuinely. And so there was going to be pain in that separation, and yet a knowing I was going to obey the Lord. Of course, now here we've been at Bellevue for 15 years, and it's been such a blessed and precious journey, and there are so many tremendous women of God and men of God who have poured into our lives, our children's lives, who have impacted us that we now love with that same deep love and connection because we've walked alongside each other, we've served alongside each other, we've prayed for each other, we've prayed for each each other's children. And when you do that in, in ministry, in fact, one of the young women asked me, who are your friends? Like in ministry, who are your friends? And I said, you know, I don't have time for a lot of things outside of what I believe God has called me to at this season in my life. And so my closest friends are the people that I minister alongside. Because when you're serving the Lord together and you're praying together, God knits your hearts together. And that's those are precious relationships. So I encourage you to open your heart and life to other women who are pursuing Christ just as you are. And when I talked to those young women, I encouraged them and challenged them because what is Jesus asking Peter? He didn't say, Peter, do you believe me? Peter, do you trust me? He said, Peter, do you love me? Because that's the command that Jesus said is the greatest command, to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I challenged those young MAs to seek the Lord first, to seek Jesus with their whole heart. And if they would go hard after him, He would open doors of effective ministry for them. He will put them in places of leadership, and areas of service. He will open doors for them that no man can close and close doors that no man can open. Jesus alone will do that. We don't have to be the right place at the right time. We don't have to manipulate a certain situation. We don't have to network. Now, I'm not saying any of those things are bad in and of themselves. But if you're doing it to promote yourself, yes, it is. You seek Jesus. And let him go before you. Let him open doors for you. And it made me think about I shared several women from Scripture with them, like Deborah and Huldah and Mary of Bethany and Mary Magdalene. But then I shared one near and dear to all of us who have been at Bellevue any time at all, Carolyn Higginbotham. As you know, Precious Higgy served this church faithfully, serving in our children's ministry, serving in children's choirs, then developing the banner ministry. And for many years, literally serving behind the scenes on the fourth floor. But a lot of people don't even realize we have one. (laughs) And that's where the banner ministry is located. And that's where those things were prayed over and dedicated to the Lord. And God gave wisdom and insight. And all the symbolism that went into every single banner was significant that dealt with that name of the Lord. And they were anointed of the Lord and blessed. And she retired. And when we built the prayer room and we were praying about a prayer ministry, there was no question they would seek Carolyn and ask her to come out of retirement to head up our prayer ministry. Why? Because she asked for it? No, (laughs) because she walked with the Lord, because she sought him first, and when you seek him first, others will seek you out. When their life falls apart, (laughs) they want somebody who knows the Lord, who walks with him and talks with him, and that he walks with and talks with. So I just encourage you, if the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning and showing you that maybe you have something else in your heart that's pushing him out or taking his place, I just strongly encourage you to confess it to the Lord and to ask him to help you to love him with your whole being, with your whole heart. He will do it. I prayed for years that the Lord would allow me to long for him and to thirst for him like a, a thirsty animal. Psalm 42, 1, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. I prayed months. I prayed it every single day for months. And one morning I realized I could not put the Bible down. And every time I had a break, I was going back and picking it back up. What had happened? The Lord had answered my prayer. It is his desire for you, so simply ask him through his spirit to enable you. And he will do it. He will do it. Then Jesus had something specific he needed to share with Peter. Let's pick back up in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So evidently they're taking a walk on the beach now, and Jesus has something special to say to him. He's just told him basically how he's going to die. Peter turns around, he sees John behind him, and he, the one who leaned back on his bosom at supper and says, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And so Peter, seeing him, says to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about John? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, Jesus did not say he would. He just said, what if? What is he saying to Peter? Peter, it's not your problem what I do with John. It's not your concern. It's actually none of your business. (laughs) We need to put blinders on, and we need to fix our eyes on the Lord. Basically, Stephen and I say it like this. Just stay in your own lane. Just stay in your lane. Do what it is God's called you to do, and he will enable you to do it because he gifts us according to his will he places us in the body according to his will and he's called us to do a specific purpose and he has a plan for each of our lives and if we fulfill that plan we will have been faithful that's what he asks of us is to be faithful to the call that he's placed upon our lives therefore this saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die Yet Jesus didn't say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? And so John is coming back then in the end of the chapter and saying basically this rumor had gone out because we know John's gospel was the last one written, more than likely written near the end of John's life. And so this rumor had gone out, and so he's dispelling the rumor by saying that's not what he said. He says this is the disciple who's testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Basically, all the libraries in the world could not contain the books that would be written if everything Jesus had said and every detail about his life and ministry had been recorded. But we know John's gospel was very intentional, and he chose seven I am statements, seven signs of Christ. He was very specific in what he revealed in his gospel. And the purpose was that others might believe that Jesus was the Christ. He is impressing upon them and revealing to them through the things he had recorded, the very deity of Jesus, that Jesus is the great I am who's come to make the Father known to us. Now, I love that he told Peter how he would die. You know, that rarely happens. It rarely happens that we know, we, we know what's going to happen <clears throat> Excuse me, five minutes from now, <clears throat> much less five days from now, or how we're going to enter eternity. But Christ told Peter, why do you think he told him? I firmly believe he told him so that the enemy would not be able to continue to heap shame and guilt and even fear upon him. If he was ever confronted once again with a life and death situation, would he deny the Lord again? Would he be strong enough, bold enough, courageous enough? Would he love the Lord enough to never deny him again? And that's what Christ is telling him. Peter, you're going to be faithful. In fact, at the end of your life, when it's time for you to go home, your arms are going to be outstretched just as mine were, and you will be faithful. Can you even imagine how reassuring that was, how encouraging it had to have been to Peter? And tradition tells us Peter was martyred, he was crucified, but that he was crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Peter had changed. The brash, impulsive Peter became the humble, spirit-filled proclaimer of the gospel that was used to literally spread the gospel all over the Roman Empire. He would come alongside Paul and many others that God would call into missionary service as they went from city to city, proclaiming the good news, planting churches, And training disciples. That is what he's called us to as well. And I just want to encourage you. Maybe you have a failure in your past. Maybe there's something the enemy taunts you with or reminds you of. I want you to know today, just like Peter, it doesn't get worse than denying the Lord. That's the worst possible thing we can do. And Christ not only forgives him, but he recommissions him. So whatever it is the enemy has lied to you about, would you choose today to refuse that lie and to receive the forgiveness and the recommissioning of our Savior and just surrender your life to him and see him do what only he can do. Wow, what a Savior. In fact, Bruce Milne said, as Peter discovered and as Paul was defined later, No matter how desperate our failure or how deep-seated our shame, he can forgive and renew us and then use us in his service. Failure is truly never final with God. Hallelujah. Our Lord and King is coming again. And as we're about to move into the Advent season, remembering his first coming, may we watch and prepare for his second. Until our faith is made sight, may we be faithful to follow him let's pray heavenly father we thank you so much for the power of your word we thank you for jesus christ we thank you for this season of the year when we focus on thanksgiving and i pray father that we will be those who are grateful that words of thanks will flow easily from our mouths that we will be the people of the good report and i pray lord that you will use us during this season to love and minister and witness to our family members, to our friends, to people that we don't see sometimes any other time of the year. Lord, I pray that we'll prayerfully approach the holidays and ask for divine appointments, to pray to we speak words of encouragement and to share the gospel. Lord, to serve others, to serve people in our community, to notice those that sometimes go unnoticed. Lord, would you use us As we offer ourselves to you, fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us eyes to see. And Lord, a heart that knows we are on mission, commissioned by you, until we leave this earth and enter your presence. May we be found faithful. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.